Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the All That To Say podcast. Around here, we talk about the hard stuff because I've been through a lot of it and so have you. And therapy has been a monumental part of my coping and my healing since I was in my early 20s. Well, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time, schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. And if your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash all that to say. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all that to say. Welcome back to the All That To Say podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Klein. On this podcast, we talk about the hard stuff. A, because I've been through a lot of it. B, because most of you have too. And C, because I believe that God is the giver of all good gifts. And we sometimes get second chances at romantic love and marriage. Today, I'm going to share some random thoughts on remarriage and blended family, and most of what I'm going to share will be from the first few years of my remarriage. We've now been married over eight years, but there's something particularly fragile about the beginnings, so I thought I would start there. I am married to a man who loves me deeply, who cherishes me, who treats me well, who supports me. And we were both bound and determined to have a marriage that looked nothing like our first ones. So we did premarital counseling and we read books on remarriage and step parenting. And then we dove in, but we are both human and life is hard and marriage is hard and parenting is hard and remarriage is harder than marriage and step parenting is harder than parenting. We know marriage is hard. We lived through ones that had failed. We know what it takes to keep a marriage running and we both couldn't one time before. But we're not in regular marriages, we are in remarriages, which are entirely different ballgames. There are dynamics in our second marriage that neither of us faced in our first marriages that our first marriage friends don't fully understand. And I'm praying prayers in my second marriage that never occurred to me to pray that I didn't need to pray in my first marriage because remarriage is so very different from marriage. There's all that is at stake in capital M marriage, which is huge in and of itself. And then there's the re the R E that adds another layer entirely that R E holds so much in it. So I'm going to answer some questions, tell a couple stories. Here's a question. Is there such a thing 
as happily ever after? Yes and no. Let me share with you an evening scenario and a morning scenario that played out in our home shortly after our wedding. All right, so one evening I fell asleep in the arms of the man I love after he prayed for me. And the next morning I woke up next to that man, grateful through and through. But also, one evening shortly after our wedding, I practically cried myself to sleep, filled to the brim with worry and fear and stress and swirly panic. Excuse me. And the next morning, I woke up after fitful sleep and tears began flowing within moments out of a sense of overwhelming helplessness. Here's the thing. These were both the same evening and the same next morning. My point? My marriage is good, and it's a better gift than I ever hoped or prayed for. A gift that God did not owe us, but we are both so grateful for. But life is still so very hard sometimes. And though Richard did sweep me off my feet, quote unquote, he did not swoop in as my hero and make all of our ex-spouse related issues, all of our children related issues, all of our work and logistics issues disappear. There is light between us, but dark clouds still hover off in the distance, ever so slightly encroaching in on our little world. There are battles that were in our lives before we got married that are still battles now. Tears I cried before that still linger post-wedding day. He and I are good, and it's a gift to be together, and we are partners standing side by side, but life is still very much, well, lifey. I feel like you need to hear this. Just like having a boyfriend didn't make my life perfection, having a husband, even a good one, a tender one, a loving one, has not eradicated my problems. And though my hope and prayer is simply to make that man's life better and sweeter, I cannot eradicate his problems either. I need you to know this. It's not about a new man. And here's why. Because life will always be hard and you will always be your very human struggling self, even at your best. And by the way, that's okay. It's what Jesus came for. I feel like culture has set out this equation before us that many women, Christians included, subconsciously take on as truth. Lonely girl plus good man equals needs met and happily ever after, but that's not the right equation. The equation should be woman in any circumstance plus Jesus equals the path to wholeness and beauty and meaning, and joy, and peace. So the goal is to ask God to help you become the most whole, beautiful, strong, and yet tender version of you, and then lean into it and embrace it, and simply become who God wants you to become, even in your messes, and follow him, even in your pain, and serve him, even in the loneliness, and worship him, even in the failures, and be a friend even in your sadness, and take care of your children even in your waiting, and shine. Shine the light of Jesus, because this is your life now. No matter your hard or lonely current circumstance, you can become right now who God wants you to become. And no matter your pain or your failures, you can be right now a light.
abusive man or no man or good man equals God crazy loves you down to your core and all the way through and his love will never end. Hard marriage or no marriage or good marriage equals God can heal you and restore you and make you whole. Pain or no pain or circumstantially peaceful, God wants to and will use you if you let him and it will be beautiful even now. A story. When my husband and I are sitting together in a restaurant, he'll pull my chair over and say, closer. It's very sweet. It makes me feel loved and wanted and secure, but I haven't always wanted to be closer. In my first marriage, when a conflict came up, I would shut down emotionally. Now, that doesn't mean I'd necessarily shut up, though. In fact, you'd typically find me crying or yelling a good deal of the time. But I wasn't truly in touch with what I was feeling and why I was feeling it, and I certainly wasn't expressing what I was feeling and why I was feeling it, because I didn't think I was allowed to. So when conflict arose, I emotionally moved away. That pattern followed me into all of my other relationships. If I'm upset and if someone asks me if I'm okay, I'll say a short, yep, yep with a fake smile and sometimes even walk away. I just don't want to go there with anyone. But as I was heading into this second marriage of mine, I made a promise to myself. I told myself that I wouldn't move away. And when it got hard, when I felt uncomfortable or afraid or angry or sad, because I knew that moving away, especially in a marriage, rarely gets you anywhere except, well, away. In fact, it's in those little moments of moving away, when my resentments fester, where my defenses rise, where my snarkiness blooms, where my heart starts to turn cold and hard, where I can forget the depth of love and commitment already woven in there. So now I practice moving towards. Now, to be fair, Richard and I get along a majority of the time, something I'm very grateful for and still I'm not quite used to, but remarriage and co-parenting and living apart at the beginning are challenging. We aren't carbon copies of each other. We both had long lives before we met. We both have strong opinions about many things. We're not always going to magically agree. So in the moments when we're at odds, when I can tell I want to run and hide emotionally or literally, I remind myself to move towards him. This looks different depending on the circumstance. It can mean sending one more text that lists off all the things I love about him and reminds him that he and I are partners and we're on the same team. Or it can mean sitting down next to him on the couch when I could easily stay on my computer another few minutes. Or it can mean reaching for his hand or walking up to him for a hug or any manner of gestures of connection. Or it may even mean being vulnerable enough to outright say, I'm feeling distant and it feels yucky and weird, but I don't know how to fix it. As our counselor put it, your oneness is your priority. Anything that seeks to encroach upon that or come between you needs to be addressed. Our oneness is our priority. Please know that I'm not saying that if you are being abused, cheated on, if your spouse has an addiction, that no matter the circumstances, move yourself closer to your detriment. No. In those cases, you need to make sure you and your children are physically and emotionally safe and you need to take the courageous step to get help. 
But if your relationship is not tenuous on a regular basis, if it is more good than bad, I want to gently challenge you to commit to yourself and to God and to your spouse that in those off times, even in your pain and fear, that you will choose in your own ways to move closer to your husband. It will take courage, it will take humility, and it will take grace, but it's so very worth it. Romans 5, 5, may our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in us so that we get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us. In Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. Another story. When you are the mother in a blended family, you feel pulled in ways you didn't when it was you and the original husband slash dad and the original children. You all did your thing. You and your husband tag teamed sports events and appointments, or maybe you did them on your own, but there was no real emotion behind it or choosing one thing or person seemingly over another. One weekend early in the marriage, my son was home from college and was playing in an alumni basketball game at his high school. It didn't even cross my mind that I wouldn't go watch him play one more, possibly last time. That same day and time, my husband was set to pick up his daughter and bring her home for the weekend. I went to see my son's game. He went to pick up his daughter. He didn't come with me to see my son's game. I didn't go with him to pick up his daughter. Now, if my son were his son and his daughter were my daughter, we'd have just split duties and no big deal and meet up with you later. But in this case, it could have looked like I was choosing my son over his daughter, and it could have looked like he was choosing his daughter over my son. This was not the case for either of us. So we literally spent the day apart. And then I got home and had a thing to go to, and he got home and was tired from a long day and a long drive. And I went off and did my thing alone, and we spent the evening apart. I know, I know, couples do this all the time. Most couples spend most days apart and a lot of evenings apart. But we were still new, and every day still mattered, and every evening still counted. And I got home, and we were both kind of quiet and distant. I had to remind myself to move closer. I had to tell myself that I hadn't been wrong to go to my son's basketball game, that sometimes we're just going to have more than one place to be at a time. We're going to have to make choices. It doesn't make us wrong or bad. It doesn't make me a horrible mom or stepmom or wife. And it doesn't mean we are choosing one child over another or a child over a spouse or a spouse over a child or a friend over a spouse or whatever. It just means there are only one of each of us and life is full. And sometimes we have to say yes to something that is an automatic no to something else. But thankfully, we converged back together. And by the next morning, we had shaken the dust off that divergent day and we're walking along together again. Until the next choice and the next, which will hopefully get easier and less emotionally tricky as time moves on. And we figure out this whole new family thing we've got going. And this is from an essay I wrote called The Day I Quit Trying So Hard, perhaps a year and a half into our marriage. Dear people I love, when I said this, I meant my husband and all of our children. I love each one of you deeply, but I cannot make you feel loved. I want each one of you to be holy, I want each one of you to be whole. I want each one of you to be happy. 
I want each one of you to live with purpose and passion. I want each one of you to be okay. I want each one of you to like me. Ugh. But I cannot accomplish any of these things for you. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what I pray. You are each responsible for your own lives, your own holiness, your own wholeness, your own happiness, your own purpose, your own okayness, your own relationships. I have been trying unsuccessfully to make you all feel loved, to build bridges and connections, to put out fires, to apologize repeatedly for things I've said and done and for things others have said and done and for things I haven't said or done that you think I've said or done. I have nothing to show for it but my exhaustion. I have still managed to hurt each one of you. I cannot win. Jesus never told me to take on these tasks and roles. I have done this to myself. I thought it's what it meant to be a good, quote unquote, Christian wife, mother and stepmother, but I was wrong. And today I am proclaiming that I am done. If you want to be loved, love. If you want to be close to someone, get closer. If you want to be holy, spend time with Jesus. If you want to be whole, talk out your feelings, keep a journal, get a mentor, go to counseling. If you want to be happy, figure out what you love and do more of it. If you want a relationship with me, it's here for the taking. I'm here. If you want purpose and passion, figure out how God created you and then do something about it. If you want to be okay, determine what okay looks like for you. And then, you know, take some steps. Husband and children, all of my children, I love you more than you may ever understand. I pray for you every day. I hope for love and peace and joy and Jesus for you. And I am right here ready and willing to love and support you. But you are responsible for you. Love, Beth, a.k.a. wife, mom, stepmom, whatever. Another story. I don't watch a ton of TV, but I've been watching This Is Us. And there was one scene between two of the main characters, a married couple with two kids, that struck me so poignantly. Randall and Beth were discussing their crazy schedule and how one of their elementary school daughters had a chess tournament that night. Randall, the husband, basically said, can't make it, I have a work dinner that I have to go to. And Beth said, without batting an eye, with respect but with authority, I call marriage. You're going to the tournament with us. Sorry, but I call marriage. And Randall did not go to his work dinner that night. In my first marriage, I never called marriage. Okay, that's not accurate. I called it to God. I called it in my journal. I called it to my friends. I called it under my breath. I called it while crying on my bathroom floor or as I fell asleep alone or in my car or at Al-Anon. But I never, in a healthy, clear, non-naggy, forthright way, called marriage to my first husband until it was too late. 
I called it when I finally had the strength and backing to call it. But at that point, it would have been like telling a smoker in hospice with lung cancer that he'd better cut back on the cigarettes. Too, too late. I never told my first husband what I wanted or what I needed. Not really. I mean, I nagged and criticized, sure. But I never said, just clear as day, I need you to stop this and this and this, or we won't make it. Our family will deteriorate. Our marriage will implode. I never called marriage. And I can't help but wonder what would have happened had I tried. Clearly, kindly, respectfully. Holding up the weight and importance and divinity of our marriage as more important than addictions and abuses and arguments. Who would we have become? Who could we have become? It's obviously too late now to do anything about this. And I wouldn't go back even if I could, but it helps me to look back, which then makes me see my current new now marriage a bit more clearly. I think I hold the importance of our partnership up higher, as well as my responsibility to tell the truth, to say the harder things. Here's where it gets fuzzy, because I actually talk less now than I did when I was in my 20s and 30s. I don't have the compulsion I once had to say every single thing I'm thinking and feeling when I'm thinking and feeling it repeatedly and with exclamation points. And I am working so hard not to criticize or nag my husband and to let him be the man God created him to be without my incessant tweaking. Though I do probably say, may I make a gentle suggestion about once a week, but then I try, try is the key word here to shut up about it. With all that said though, I want to be a woman who feels free to call marriage in my marriage to say, okay, let's think about how this is affecting you or me or both of us or our kids and what this really means, as opposed to just letting everything go that maybe shouldn't be let go. I have not mastered this. I'm not sure I've done this even more than a few times in the past couple of years, but that one line on that one random TV show, Nudge Something in Me, reminded me of the gravity of my marriage and of the influence I have, not just on my husband's heart and life, but on the health of our sacred union. So moving forward, though I may not call marriage on a daily basis in literal terms, and though I frankly may not even have to because Richard and I gratefully are on the same page a good deal of the time, I'm going to be working on calling marriage in my heart to myself every moment of every day of every year for the rest of our lives because it's not only my responsibility to do so, it's my honor and my privilege. Mark 10, 9, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Richard and I did a live webcast in the early stages of our marriage. And one of the great questions we were asked was, what do you guys do differently in this marriage that you didn't do in the first marriage or just in general? What are you doing to nurture your relationship? Uh, about 10 things. I'm going to rattle off. One, Bible reading and devotional reading. This is one of the sweetest things to me that we do. Um, it's typically during my Saturday morning quiet time, I sit in the same spot that I do when he's at work. So he is sitting there during my quiet time and he'll say something like, read to me. And I'll read something from scripture and we are, uh, over the years, we've gone through a few different devotionals. Um, I recommend highly John and Stacey Eldridge's Love and War devotional for couples and Gary Thomas's Devotions for a Sacred Marriage. Um, it's a sweet, sweet time. Um, communication. 
we text quite a bit throughout the day when he's at work or if we're apart and we talk every day when he gets home from work dates. We try to do at least a date, um, at least one date a week. It's typically two. It also helps. I'll be honest. We are full on empty nesters at this point. Um, we have a nighttime routine, like 99% of the time we go to bed together every night, even if it's before we're both tired. There's just something about those few moments before you fall asleep, either just little chit chat, um, cuddling. And recently we are switching off each night praying. Um, and it reconnects us. It's a, it's a calming way to go to sleep. Um, having a hobby together early on in our, uh, married life, we stumbled upon totally backwards, this hobby of picking. Um, I don't know if that's like a Midwest Midwest term, but like going to garage sales or estate sales and thrift stores and antique stores and where you like repurpose something, um, like, or you just flip it, um, old doors, windows, things like that. It's not only been fun, but it's created a bond between us that is ours and love it. Um, we support each other in our respective hobbies. Richard referees basketball and football. I'm not a huge sports fan, but I do go to his games. I have been known to defend my man with an unruly crowd from time to time, but that's neither here nor there. I, on the other hand, do things like speak at retreats and women's events. And he sometimes drives me or prays for me in the parking lot and walks me in. He's even spoken with me on more than a few times. Um, and that is something that we love to do together. Neither of these are things that the other would necessarily do with our free time if the other weren't in our lives, but taking an interest in what interests each other shows we care. We take turns. Um, everything from choosing things like where we eat, what we do with a day off together, what we watch on TV, we switch off. No one gets their way all the time. We even jokingly say, um, he'll say to me like, it's your day princess. And, you know, tosses me the remote, which frankly, I can't stand. It's a side note. Um, cause I hate making decisions. So, but yeah, we, we take turns. Um, we show gratitude. We both say thank you a lot. I thank him for working hard, for providing for us and our kids, for being a good example. He thanks me for taking care of the home and shopping and laundry and stuff like that. Uh, we worship together. We have been in three churches together in our now just over eight years. And I'm, we have found our church home. Um, we go to church together every week. We have encouraged each other to get involved in serving and that weekly time reconnects us to God together. And it's absolutely precious to us. Uh, we serve each other. I ask him if he wants anything from the kitchen when I'm getting up, I will do his laundry. I'll make his lunch. Um, every morning I'll set out his vitamins. I know. Um, he provides for me. He cooks almost every dinner. I know he opens my car door. Basically we take care of each other. We argue differently. Um, first of all, we don't say everything that comes into our heads. What a difference a couple of decades make. Um, I used to think that if I thought it, it meant I could say it and I should say it. I don't anymore. Maturity has quieted my mouth. Thankfully, though, I will say, um, we have found out that I am an internal processor and he is an external processor. So that is interesting and good to know. Um, also, we do what author John Gottman calls in the seven principles for making marriage work, repair attempts. The funny thing is, is that we didn't even know we were doing this until I read about it, but it's one of the, um, it's when one of the partners does something to disrupt the discussion before it gets too heated. We don't do it as much as we should, but it could be anything from like 
sticking out your tongue to bring levity or saying something like, hey, we're in this together. So just a little bit of a coming back together thing. Thirdly, we took the attachment quiz by Milan and Kay Yurkovic, and it helped us realize that we were, I think we both knew this, both insecurely attached from our childhoods. When we're in conflict, we revert to our childhood wounded selves. And in our situation, we can also revert to like our 20 something first marriage selves. So when we argue, there are sometimes six of us in the room. I'm going to link to the assessments and the books that I've been talking about. I could truly keep going like on and on and on. Um, this marriage is nothing like my first marriage. I don't say that as a slam to my ex-husband. I am not the same woman. I am a completely different wife. And from what Richard has told me, he is a completely different husband. I'm not sure why, but we're grateful. I know that people can change. You are not destined to replicate all of your past relational mistakes in all of your future relationships. God wants to bring healing and wisdom and restoration to your mind, heart, and relational world. If you ask him, and if you do so with a willing and humble and teachable heart and you do the work. There's so much more I could say. Marriage and parenting are the most transformational and maturity producing parts of my life. Um, at least that's been my experience. But only when you're humble and teachable and willing to lean into all that God has for you. Okay. I'm going to post a link in the show notes to my book, Unraveling, to my free dating quiz, to my e-courses, Heartbreak to Hope, Looking for Mr. Right, Remarriage Ready, Remarriage Ref, all of which are now pay what you want, by the way, what, along with other books and assessments that I mentioned. And always, if this episode or the All That Say podcast has been meaningful to you, would you consider sharing it with a friend or on social media? Subscribe to it, rate it, review it. All of these things help with all the... I don't know what the numbers, the demographics, the what's the algorithms, it all works. It all helps. And not just that. Every time you do one of these things, it gives the chance for another woman to be encouraged with the help and hope and healing of God, which is my heart's desire. So thank you for doing that. Sweet ones. All that to say, no matter your relational status. You are the unconditionally beloved daughter of God, and he is so delighted with you. You came into this world and you start each day already completely loved with no other loves to beg for and nothing to prove to anyone. Till next time, so, so much love. Hey, sweet girls. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the All That To Say podcast. You have no idea what it means to me that you even listen. Um, if you know me at all, you know that my heart is to help encourage as many women as I possibly can to move forward in their healing um, with the help and hope of God. And you could play a really big part of that if the episode you're about to listen to or if any of the episodes of this podcast have helped you, encouraged you, meant anything to you, you could really help me to reach more women in a really simple way. You can review this episode. You can rate it by clicking on the stars. You can subscribe to it, or you could share it with a friend or on Facebook. All of those would make such a difference in helping me reach more women with the hope and healing of Jesus.
Thank you.